Hi there, it's Kanika. This is an episode from the That's Total Mom Sense archives, which date back to 2019. If you're new here, there's a chance you haven't heard this one yet. And if you've been tuning in since the beginning, you'll surely be able to gather new ideas this time around. I know I have. I hope you enjoy it. On to the show. Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons in parenting, legacy, and built-in sixth sense. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Thank you to my guests, brand partners, community, and you for making this show possible. Episodes release every Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and by following me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. Now let's dive in to today's episode. Allergies are becoming more and more frequent in our Western world. One in 20 people will develop a food allergy and one in 100 will have a life-threatening allergic reaction. Decreased exposure of infections or microbes could be a cause and another is delayed introduction of allergenic foods such as eggs and nuts until later in childhood can have an impact. Today, I am so excited to have Mino Lele on my show. She's the founder of Lil Mixins. Reading from an excerpt from her feature in M.M. Lafleur, when Mino Lele's oldest son developed food allergies, she did what any good chemical engineer would do. She dove into the data. Within the same month, a landmark study found that many allergies can be prevented by introducing allergenic foods into a baby's diet during a critical window of time in their first year. For Lele's first child, it was too late, but when she had her second, she was determined not to repeat the same mistake, only to realize how complicated the food introduction process can be. That's when she got the idea for Lil Mixins, powdered foods that can be easily stirred into baby food in the correct amounts. And on today's show, she's going to talk about how she found her niche between science and business, how she started Little Mixins, and what parents need to know about allergies and preventative measures they can take for their kids. Mino, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So let's start from the beginning. I'd love to hear about your life and how you kind of tread on this career path. So tell us about your childhood. Um, I grew up in New Jersey. I have an older sister and um, two parents that are kind of both in the science field. Uh, my dad was in um, an electrical engineer and my mom was a chemist. And um, growing up in New Jersey, actually, one of the biggest um, industries, I guess, is the pharmaceutical industry. And I grew up right near where J&J is headquartered. And mm-hmm. I kind of always thought I would want to work in the pharmaceutical industry just because I think if you're going to do something, the idea of improving people's lives, making them healthier and safer sounds like a great way to spend your time. (laughs) Absolutely. And so they inspired you to become a chemical engineer yourself? Yeah, Yeah. um, I really like the whole idea of engineering. You know, it's it's I, I always say engineering is really a mindset in the engineering school. Obviously, you have to specialize in one area in chemistry or chemical engineering or material science or civil or something like that. But in truth, most of the classes are a variation on 
central themes about how do you break down problems, try and understand specific ways in which the problem could occur, you know, parts of um, the system that can be addressed and changed and then arrive at something different. So yeah. and it's just applying that same thinking kind of to a structural problem, a biological problem, a chemical problem. Absolutely. So you're a problem solver at the core. And, you know, yeah, that comes yeah. handy when you become a parent. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell us about, um, you know, your mom life and your family. So I have two little boys. They are both, I guess, what we still consider toddler, although I don't really know when toddlerhood ends. <laughs> uh, my older one is five. He just started kindergarten. And um, I still kind of consider him a toddler. He doesn't really seem like a kid to me yet, but mm-hmm. although you know, the way he talks now, sometimes we're always so astonished at kind of the information he has in his head. And so um, I think, you know, probably everyone has the same experience is motherhood is really just a long, long balancing act. And as my husband likes to say, it's just one long optimization problem. Uh, (laughs) Trying to figure out how your schedules are going to work. How are we going to be home for dinner? Who's going to, who's going to deal with this? And when one of the kids suddenly hates you this week and loves the other parent, you know, who's going to get them in bed and things like that. (laughs) That's so true. And I feel like we have um, one, if you want to say CEO, project manager, you know, whatever role you, or title you want to give it, um, that kind of has to lead, you know, and, and be able to kind of um, know what's going on when and provide structure to the household. Right. Um, So is, is that you? Uh, I think in some ways, um, there's this, uh, do you ever read Eat, Pray, Love, that book by Elizabeth Gilbert? Yes, I have, yeah. Okay, she, there's this one random scene that she talks about her parents and how to kind of how they negotiated their marriage. And she talks about this like weird truce they got to in um, their gardening where her mom had the first three tomato plants and then her father had the last two tomato plants and then the cucumber plant or something like that. And mm-hmm. she, she says, you know, this, this setup doesn't really make any sense, but it's sort of what they negotiated and <laughs> worked mm-hmm. out for them. And I feel often that with parenting, it can be really similar that um, I, for some reason, am in charge of, you know, making sure that they are in the right size clothes. But my husband, se- husband seems to always be in charge of making sure in the right size socks. And, <laughs> you know, these weird little truces we've come to to make sure that some everything is being taken care of and I don't I don't not sure how we got to this but it seems to be working right now yeah that's great (laughs) and um if you could tell us about the story about your older son um and you know what that experience was like when you discovered that um he had a food allergy absolutely with parenting it's all when you're pregnant and everything, it's a long series of things that you sort of, or fears maybe that you work yourself up to. And then the risk is always low and then they go away. So, or maybe, so maybe, you know, when you're pregnant, you're really scared for a while that the child will have some sort of, you know, genetic disease or Down syndrome or something that, you know, will change the way you think about being a parent. And then, and everyone tells you these fears are overblown. And then you, you come out on the other side and they were totally, you know, nothing happened or you're, kids born perfectly healthy and you sort of forget about it. And food allergies were sort of like that for me. And I I was thinking about them because I'd heard, you know, all these things uh, about children having to sit at separate tables and kids getting hurt and things being banned in planes and things like that. 
And so, of course, this fear starts building in me because what is motherhood if not just a long series of fears mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that, you know, my kid's going to have a food allergy. And I remember just like with all the other things everyone's saying, well, you know, no one in your family has food allergies and your parents are immigrants. And, you know, why do you think, you know, your kid's perfectly healthy. Why do you think they're going to develop a food allergy? Stop panicking about this random thing. Right. And so I wasn't really panicked about it, actually. I, you know, you're always doing that balance of worrying and not worrying. And then kind of around um, the six to nine month time frame, I remember we went to visit my sister in London. And that was the first time someone said to me, you know, hey, his skin's kind of dry. And we came back from that flight. It's probably just a coincidence that the timing worked out that way. But in my head, it was, it was, uh, you know, now my looking back, I'm convinced that it was something about, you know, how dry the plane was and it dried out his skin. And then he ended up, you know, being diagnosed with maybe some early signs of eczema. And it just was like this one after the other, you know, with eczema and then we're starting testing for food allergies. And then we end up, he ends up reacting to a scrambled egg. And then next thing you know, he's reacting to peanuts and, and you're in and out of the hospital. And before you know it, he's developed asthma. And it was just like this long chain of things that this one fear turned out to be real. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so then you met with your pediatrician and, you know, she kind of, or he gave you the lowdown on what was going on. <laughs> you know, what's funny is actually, no, that's not what happened at all. At, at right now, there's so much new information coming out and there's a bit of confusion. And, and of course, no pediatrician wants to guide you towards something until the data is pretty settled, right? They're not in the business of chasing shiny objects. And right. so what was really upsetting to me, actually, is that they kind of all were like, ah, this happens. You know, but in my head, I'm thinking, wait, you're just kind of shrugging the, you know, they're like, yeah it happens. <laughs> and no one oh could gosh. tell me why it was happening or, um, you know, why him, what do we do wrong? And how could, how could this have happened? And what should we do? What should we be doing now? And they're kind of like, you know, it happens and we're just going to kind of take it a couple months at a time and see what we need to do. And that to me, again, when, when somebody throws their, their hands up and just says like, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Like that, <laughs> Spends my, you know, my mindset really deeply because you always need a plan, right? Right. And and so that was not acceptable, an acceptable answer. So I went in, I started just reading more science and literature. I said, well, somebody's got to know something. And I started looking into it more and trying to understand, you know, what what could have gone wrong or how did he develop these issues? And part of it was um, I was already, well, by the time he started developing these issues, I was pregnant with his younger brother because they're only 19 months apart. So I wanted to, you know, not let this happen again. Right. And that's really where I started to understand or started to learn that there was all this new science emerging. And in fact, this science has a long history. So the LEAP study, the one that kind of definitively showed, if you will, that peanut allergies are somewhat preventable, that at least a large percentage of them can be prevented by eating peanuts regularly from when you're right when you start solid foods out through a year you have to eat a couple you know a couple grams of the protein every sitting and you have to do it two to three times a week and if you do that you can cut your risk of a food of this peanut allergy specifically by let's call it you know 60 to 80 percent the study was 80 percent on high-risk children that study came out in 2015 but of course it's not it's not that one doctor woke up one day and had this random idea and decided to test it on 500 patients in 
you know, the course of a month. Obviously, the study itself took a couple of years to do. And where did he get this idea? Well, that research actually goes all the way back to 2008. Um, and that was the, the research they did showing in, in the UK where they looked at um, children who were uh, culturally or genetically Jewish and comparing they knew that the food allergy rates were much higher in the UK to the peanut allergy rates, excuse me, in Israel. And so they said they were trying to uncover what, what was the difference. And that was actually where they found that um, Jewish children in the UK were not eating peanuts when they were little, whereas Jewish children in Israel were eating peanuts from right when they started their first foods. And that was one stark difference. Um, how they ate was a stark difference between the two populations who again, were genetically very similar. Because up until then, a lot of people thought this was some sort of genetic issue. We knew that answer back in 2008, and which was years before I even thought about having kids, you know? And so yeah. to me, I was really frustrated that even though there was a six years of information out there, seven years of information, nobody had brought it to my attention that this was, it was such an easy intervention I could have done. Right, absolutely. And so that's what led you to kind of solving that problem for your second kid, right? Yeah, absolutely. And because once I knew, okay, okay, all I have to do is feed him these foods. That sounds easy enough. And then mm -hmm. part of the challenge was to have this toddler um, in the house who is, you know, can't touch any of these foods. And I'm nervous about getting eggs and almonds and whatever else on the spoons and the cookware and things like that. Because yeah. So when they're little, their allergies are also, I think throughout life, actually, your allergies can kind of flux, right? So we didn't, everyone asks like, well, how bad are your kids' allergies? And mm. I always say, that's something no one tests, <laughs> you know? I don't yeah. really know because I haven't, I'm not insane enough to try various <laughs> levels of the allergen and see what ends it lands them in the hospital. You know, no yeah. one's going to do that. Yeah. So, so we're nervous because we don't know. And um, and and as, as I said, he's only 18 months old. So, you know, we have to watch, make sure he's not going down the stairs or doing whatever. So you're out of time. You um, are worried about touching everything. And yet you're trying to bring all these foods into the house now to feed his younger brother. And I just realized between my husband and I both working full time, feeding a baby three times a week, something, you know, a pre-baked egg or properly prepared nuts and things like that was just an insane ask and then yeah. and then no one was going to do it you know i was terrified and even i quit uh, or didn't do it nearly as frequently as i should have even after um i didn't stick to the three times a week you know maybe it was like one to two times a week pretty quickly because it just got to be so overwhelming and i quickly realized you know the, the overwhelming problem the part that it's overwhelming is something that can be easily solved yes yes and so that's how little mixins was born mm -hmm. Um, it was born, and, and again, you know, kind of the story is after I learned this information, I was one of the first of my friends to have children. And mm -hmm. so I started telling my girlfriends, as moms share all this, you know, advice with each other, I started telling my girlfriends, hey, th this is the new research. Your your doctor might not talk to you about it yet, but, you know, happy to send it to you, and this is what you need to do. And everyone just sort of looked at me and said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. that. That's far too much work. And one person, the one person who was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Um, she assigned it to her nanny to do. Yeah, it, it just, uh, it's unfortunate that parents don't want to take as much of an interest until it becomes an issue in your home. So I think actually parents are not nearly worried enough because mm -hmm. they still think the risk is really tied up in your family history. 
we are one example, but I believe the statistic is two out of three children who are developing food allergies have no family history of the issue. My goodness. Yeah. And it's become so prevalent. Um, can you speak to that? Because, you know, now, um, you know, we, we see foods that are marked, you know, dairy free or, um, nut free. And even in their schools, there's nut free schools. I mean, my, my twins are in a, um, you know, Montessori daycare where it's, uh, it's not allowed as it should be, um, because of the, the, to prevent any um, issue happening with the kids that do have allergies. So why is it on the rise in the first place? Well, before I answer that question, I want to just tell you something funny about that, which is I am not a proponent of uh, nut-free zones and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, they haven't, they've been proven to not actually have an effect and keep people safe. But two is that it gives too much weight to nut allergies dairy allergies can be just as deadly and egg allergies can be just as, you know, terrible and deadly. And yet we don't have dairy-free schools or egg-free schools. And I don't think we should. I think that it's a terrible decision to have the entire world's population not eating any of these proteins. I'm saying that as a parent whose child is put at risk by having these things, I, I think you always have to balance the good, you know, the... Um, what's better for individuals against what's better for everybody. And, um, but that's, that's a bit of an aside. And yeah. it just, it's just one of those things that annoys me, I suppose, on some level, because I think everyone's really, really worried about peanut allergies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our products is around, you know, is a baked egg around egg allergies. And I wish people were far more concerned about egg allergies than they are. They're more prevalent than peanut allergies and they're so much worse to deal with. Oh, and wow. She's like that. Like I would take, I would take a peanut allergy any day over a soy allergy, for example. Absolutely everything. Yeah. My kid does not have that. But for for a brief moment, we thought he did. Uh, One of the tests came up positive, and I just threw my hands up in defeat, you know, because once you have a soy allergy, you almost can't eat anything that you did not make yourself. I want to cover what the most common food allergens are. And in a kid's health article, it says that a child could be allergic to any food, but these are the eight most common and account for 90% of all the reactions in kids. And that's milk, eggs, peanuts, soy, wheat, tree nuts, which are, you know, like walnuts and cashews, fish, and shellfish, uh, which includes shrimp. So those are the most common eight. And um, you've, formulated powders that incorporates like all of these that you can, you know, slowly introduce to your child? So actually right now our products cover peanuts, peanuts, eggs, and tree nuts. Okay. And the reason we don't do some of the others is dairy is a, is one that you, you know, you can introduce to your food, your kids early, but yogurt works. And I'm a big believer that people are always trying to sell parents things they don't need. And that, that would be a good example of one. You don't uh-huh. need a, a new product. Whereas there's not really a good way to feed your child a baked egg, for example, um, when they're, you know, four, four to eight months old, but yogurt works at almost any age. So use yogurt. And for wheat, for example, is um, most, a lot of the baby cereals are really just ground up wheat, right? So you can mm-hmm. use that as well. Okay. Um, we currently haven't gotten into the other some of the other big ones, as you mentioned. Soy, um, sesame is about to be added to that list. Okay. Uh, fish, shellfish. 
And some of that is just where we are as a company. And so really understanding where, what are parents looking for? One big thing to think about, and I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you, is that there's definitely a correlation between the food allergies that develop and what people are eating in their house. So for example, if you do not eat fish and shellfish in your house, you're vegetarian and well, I guess some people vegetarians eat fish, but if you didn't, mm-hmm your child is a very low risk of developing a fish allergy to fish um, because most people think this is a common misconception. Everyone has, you know, builds up all this thing uh, to the first day that the first time they're going to feed their baby an egg or first time they're going to feed their baby peanut. But if you are eating eggs and peanuts in your house, your baby has already been exposed to eggs and peanuts. So your take, why do you think allergies are on the rise now in children? Well, there's a lot of different theories, but the only one that to me right now seems to be making sense. And, and, and to be clear, this is not, this is conjecture still because we're trying to uncover the direct link. There's definitely correlations that you can see between the changes in people's microbiomes. That's the, um, what's called commensal or friendly bacteria that live in your um, intestinal tract and your stomach and uh, on your skin and all parts of you that, you know, they're friendly, they help us. So we've seen, when they look at it, there's been a big shift in what kinds of bacteria, the specific strains that exist in children today versus 50 years ago, even 25 years ago. And there, when you look at babies who develop food allergies, for example, versus babies who don't, babies who have other, other issues and babies that don't, you can see differences in their microbiomes. Now, they have not gotten to the point where saying, you know, it's bacteria X, Y, Z that is missing from or, or in, you know, present in babies with food allergies. And we just have to get rid of that particular bacteria or we just have to add that bacteria. We are not at that point yet. But that is the piece that makes the most sense because those micro that microbiome or that series of bacteria does a lot of work in digesting your food in lining your intestinal tract correctly with with the, basically like a mucus that keeps food proteins from leaking out. Um, and it, it we're finding more and more that it actually um, joins up with your immune system, if you will. It's part of your immune system on some level that is deciding what is and isn't a threat. So something, something there went awry, but we don't today know what exactly it is. Okay. Okay. And so the formulas that you came up with, um, how do they work and how should parents use them? Yeah. So they're just powders um, of hundred percent food. So what we've done is take a, you know, the food is as cleanly as you would like to have them um, and powdered them so that they're very dehydrated, meaning that they adhere to water well. So any baby food, all baby food is very mushy and watery. Any baby food you put it into, it'll just sort of disappear into that baby food without adding volume. Um, and then you just feed it to your kid. So if you're making purees at home or you're buying purees in jars or pouches, you can add in one serving to it and feed it to your baby. And each of the jars, uh, for example, we actually now have it in two form factors in jars and in these you know, individual serving stick packs. Oh, if you Either one, basically, if you use, use two, two scoops, excuse me, from the jar, that's one serving size. Each of our servings are designed to match what has been studied in big clinical studies and shown to work. So which which has always been um, two grams of the protein has always is what's been studied. So each of our products, when you take a serving, you're getting two grams of the protein in okay. your food. 
Wow, that's amazing. And so you have peanut and egg powders Mm -hmm. that you can essentially introduce at the six-month mark when they're eating solids? Yep, yep. And every baby's a bit different. Some are ready for solids closer to four months. Almost everyone's ready for solids by six months. Uh, You know, changes baby to baby. So whenever they're ready for solids, these proteins can be right in there with their first foods. Wow. And then eventually, if you want to go into the, um, what is it, the toddler-led weaning, um, where they're eating, um, you know, small cut-up food, then you just introduce the actual egg or exactly whatever it is. Okay. Exactly. Wow. When they get older, you really do want to move them on to peanut butter or scrambled eggs or things that are developmentally appropriate. Uh, it's, this is really to this is really to help parents in that window where they're not ready to be pincering food or eating chunks, but you do want to get this into their diet because that's the critical window where their immune system is starting to decide what is and isn't um, a threat. Exactly. Okay. And what about if we were to take it back to when you have the baby in utero? Um, should uh, you be eating eggs and dairy and nuts so that you, you know, kind of, is that a way to like introduce it into your gut bacteria that the the kid also gets some portion of that when they're developing? No, actually that what you eat during your pregnancy has no effect on anything as far as anyone can tell right now. And okay. if you think about it though, is because when your baby is in utero, they are their umbilical cord is connected to you, right? But they're getting a basically a blood to blood connection. And right. so they're not really eating. They don't eat anything. They basically directly take nutrients from your, they're taking your, they're sharing your bloodstream, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so when you eat like cauliflower, you don't have bits of cauliflower floating around in your blood. <laughs> yes, that's true. Okay. Um, so what do you think parents need to become more informed about? I, I think parents need to, be aware about this rise in food allergies and understand that the things that the, that first of all, food allergies are very related to eczema and asthma. They're all this triad of allergic disease and um, along with rhinitis or hay fever uh, or, you know, seasonal allergies kind of thing. These are all very related and that you are trying to deal with all of them at the same time using different mechanisms. So that means, you know, when your baby's little, taking care of their skin, trying to make sure that it's um, doesn't, that they're not developing eczema, that you want to be getting these foods into their diet early and regularly. So you're training their body. These are safe foods. You also want to make sure um, that, you know, you're passing on a healthy gut biome to your baby. When the baby goes, is born, they actually take their, their first you know, microbiome, they take it from their mothers, from um, from breastfeeding, from the skin-to-skin contact, and, and actually swallowing, you know, um, the vaginal fluids from going through the, the birth canal. So that's really where they get that microbiome. So you want yours moms to be as strong as possible. Um, and then all the foods you feed your baby, right? So a lot of baby food out there today, if you look at it, it's really high in sugar. And it's yeah. because they want babies to slurp down these packs. And sure, it's pears, but at the end of the day, it's a lot of sugar. And yeah. we all know we, we, this has been proven pre, um, you know, artificial sugars, but high levels of sugar are basically toxic to a healthy gut. And yes. 
So you really don't want to be feeding, overfeeding your children sugary foods. And a lot of foods we think of as healthy are actually super sugary foods. So one thing I like to do on that total mom sense is give my listeners some tangible takeaways by the experts that I'm interviewing. And so in your opinion, for a first time parent, what should they do? Um, what plan of action can they make to address uh, you know, potential allergies head on? We came up with a, I guess they're called drip campaigns that you can sign up for on the website, willmixins.com. And it uh, month by month, it sends you basically a 15-step plan starting from when you're pregnant all the way out to when your child is about nine months old with the different things you can be doing at each uh, point in your, in your child's life uh, that are most important to reduce the risk of uh, food allergy, eczema, asthma, all the things. You're literally kind of following them on the timeline of, you know, just gave birth onwards. It actually starts all the way back, just like you asked the question about does what I eat when I'm pregnant matter? It actually starts, you know, from when you're about 26 to uh, 26 weeks pregnant, because there's little steps you can be taking even even all the way back then and making choices you make about what medicines you take during your pregnancy, um, things like that. So we try and have info, we want to have information for that entire life cycle because, you know, it, it changes that whole time. Things yes. you might be worried about 30 weeks pregnant are totally different than what you're worried about when they're three months old. Exactly. Absolutely. And then you talk about how they can introduce the foods at the six month <laughs> mark and, you know, nine months and 12 months, basically those milestones, right? Exactly. There's, uh, you know, the right recipes you can be using, um, right form factors for food to take, all the different information you need to make sure your your kid is taking all the right steps towards uh, reducing the risk of allergic disease. That is wonderful. And that site again is Lil Mixins, L-I-L-M-I-X-I-N-S.com. Um, and that's great. I, I think it's important for all parents to um, follow along and get these, you know, um, articles or to-dos or push notifications because like you mentioned, your pediatrician doesn't have time or may not actually incite that much interest in you doing the work to, to figure it out. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> One other fun segment that I have on the show is um, the mom sense moment. You know, I love asking my guests this question. Um, we all have a mom sense, our own intuitive sixth sense when it comes to our kids. And is there a moment in time that you're like, you know what? I just trusted my mom sense. Um, you know, you, you sort of almost stereotype your child. I think it's so easy as parents to sort of uh, come up with a persona. Oh, he's shy or, oh, he's, you know, whatever. And um, with one of our sons, it was, we were really nervous about how he was going to do in um, basically like a new school. And, but I'd, and he can be really shy or, and things like that, but I've seen him also really be um, engaging, like really engaging with other children and everything else. And so I felt like that was a good time to just trust your gut and say, I know he's going to, you know, I, I'm not worried that he's going to come home crying kind of thing. I know he's going to have a great first day and sure enough, you know, put him into a new school and there was no issues. There was great first day. Mm, yeah, exactly. Wow. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Do you have a quote that you live by? This is a it's a funny quote, but I, and I can't even explain it to you. It's something my mom used to say when I was little, which is, 
she would hold like a spoon um, with her, you know, just like in the most uncomfortable way possible and say like, you could eat this way, but why would you? And it was just sort of her way of saying like, you're making this far more complicated than it needs to be. I kind of think about that a lot because I think it's it's actually really easy to overcomplicate things. You know, often you have to just step back and be, you know, what first principles or think about what it was you were trying to do in the beginning before you got all wrapped up in the emotions of it or whatever else. Um, you know, and, and it turns out the answers are often much simpler than they appear at the beginning. Absolutely. It's now time for Mom Hall when we share products we love. And now on to Mom Hall. So this is um, the the segment of the show where we talk about products that we're loving. And is there, you know, a product that you feel like, okay, this changed my life? A folding bathtub. You know when the babies oh, are little Pudge, yeah. Yeah, so it was just this white <laughs> bathtub that was yep. you know, about the size of a sink. But then when you took it out of your bathtub, it didn't take up your whole bathroom. Like you could just fold it flat and slide it under something so that it wasn't in the way. And and it was just a silly thing that finally made bath time work um, because those those, uh, those everyone has this blue bathtub that, you know, baby bathtub mm-hmm. goes in their tub, but it's enormous and it just takes up so much space. So for me, that was one of those little things that I was, when we found that on the internet somewhere, I was just so happy about it. I felt like it, you know, gave us our bathroom back. Yeah, 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 totally. I know exactly what you're talking about. I use them for my twins um, and the third. Um, P-U-J is the name of the brand and it's great and it's foam. Um, so super soft, you know, um, especially for the newborn. And you can actually like fold it into your sink, you know, so when they're really tiny, um, you're not just like hoping that they don't slip inside yeah, yeah. a small bathroom so, sink. So I actually I just actually, looked it up. The one I was thinking, one we had was called the Stokey Flexi Bathtub. Ooh, you know, it, it has the infant seat in it, um, and it's it's white with these gray stripes on it, and kind of folds flat. And it has a little drain at the bottom, so you don't even have to lift it up to get, drain it out. Oh, wow. This one I do not know about. That's great. Okay. So this is for the older kids, for the toddlers. Yeah. It has an infant seat in it, actually. Mm-hmm. There's, it comes with a little infant seat, but it goes all the way up till when they're toddlers. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I'm all about space saving. Um, in fact, I'm doing a product on that too. Um, and it's the Echo folding stool. Um, and we have tons all around the house because, you know, now um, our kids, my toddlers are potty training and, you know, being able to like, you know, wash hands and everything afterwards, they can easily, um, uh, take out the stool themselves and, um, put it down and then fold it up and stow it away. And right, right. I'm all about that. I just, I can't have little stools like cluttering my home. <laughs> Absolutely. Not. These, these, the, these folding stools are also really clutch until they can finally reach the sink. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great. Okay. Any last words to share with, um, with our listeners? I think food has always been such a big part of every culture. And one of the things that's hardest for me as a parent is to have that taken away. You know, the birthday cake, for example, was the most central piece of the birthday. (laughs) And, um, that doesn't mean you should overstress about food allergies, but I hope that through these, you know, through the 15 step plan and through early introduction, we can get back to a place where not no one's worried about food anymore. We don't have to ask everyone what their allergies are. And we can go back to it being a central point of our cultures and just enjoy it again. And that's, um, I guess it's not really words of wisdom for families, but that is, I suppose, at least my hope and dream for this. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, for parents who don't have kids with um, allergies, for us to be more mindful, you know, um, I have a very dear friend who has a child who has allergies and she's allergic to milk and nuts and eggs. And the poor thing um, is so restricted in her diet, you know, and so if she's coming to my kid's birthday party or um, going to a restaurant, um, you know, my friend has to take all this food along for her and, you know, has to basically, um, ask a few times over, is this kid friendly for my kid, you know, and, and I feel for her, um, because that's one more thing that she has to think about, um, during the day, um, for all her, you know, the three meals and snacks that her little one's eating and it's tough, you know? And so, I think for the the parents where you're like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Um, just be more mindful um, about your your friends who are dealing with this. And you know, I think it's it's great that you've launched a product that's uh, here to eliminate these um, allergies in kids altogether. Um, and we will get there. Um, I think the the fact that you're uh, spreading this gospel and um, making parents more aware is so important. And, you know, I, I think it's really great what you're doing. And where can um, my listeners and viewers find you? So, so our products are, of course, available, available on the website, L-I-L-M-I-X-I-N-S.com. And um, like everybody, we're currently available on Amazon. And hopefully in the next year or so, we will be in retailer near you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the goal. And we can also follow you on social media too. All of our, our handles, Will Mixins was not taken. So we, that's our <laughs> handle on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and anything else. <laughs> that's great. And very, very catchy name for a product. I love it. Mino, thank you so much for being on That's Total Mom Sense. This was very enlightening and, you know, um, excited for your launch and all that's to come with the brand. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to talk to new audiences about this. I hope Mino's story has triggered you to take childhood allergies into your own hands and work on early prevention. As an offer to all of my loyal listeners, she's extending an exclusive promo for Lil Mixins for 15% off your first order. Use promo code MOMSENSE15 and that's all lowercase. Log on to Lil Mixins, spelled L-I-L-M-I-X-I-N-S dot com to purchase. Thanks again for listening and leaving me reviews and emails. I read and acknowledge every single one. Follow me on Instagram at KanikaXOXO and write to me at that's total momsense at gmail.com. And remember, always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. Bye. Total mom sense.